0: Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm Kira Posey. On today's episode of The Lead, I speak with Dr. Karen Osman. Dr. Osman is a former U.S. correspondent for Spiegel Television and has written, reported, and produced for radio, broadcast, and online publications before turning to academia. She's worked in Germany and the U.S., covering German, U.S., and international news. She is now an assistant professor at the University of Georgia, and her research focuses on newsroom sociology, where she examines newsroom work culture, among many other topics. In this episode, Dr. Osman and I discuss getting a hesitant source to open up, why she believes studying newsroom work culture is important, and trends in the journalism workspace. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. And I'm here with Karen Osman, a journalist and assistant professor at the University of Georgia. Dr. A is what I call her. So Dr. A, thank you so much for joining today.
1: I'm so happy to
0: be here. Good, good to hear it. So I'm just gonna go ahead and start off on the first question, if that's right with you. Um, so you've reported in the US and in Germany on German-American international news, and you're the owner of Compass Media Production, a news media company that offers multimedia coverage, um, in addition, of course, to your work as a professor. So first off, I'm curious, what has been one of your most challenging or memorable stories that you've produced in your career?
1: Right. Um, that's a good question, a question I hear a lot, and my career is pretty long, so it's always very hard to answer that question, right? Because there's so many great stories for from my perspective uh, that I enjoyed doing. So most of my career, I worked um, for Spiegel Television, that's the television branch of the news magazine, Der Spiegel. And um, I started out um, doing stories based in Germany, but they would send me all over the world. And I think. I sort of look at my most memorable stories in terms of where they fell in my career. So the first story that they quote-unquote let me do all on my own, that means I reported, I pitched, I produced, I reported, and I went with the camera crew to do the story, was a story I did in Scotland where they had developed a program to um, basically legalize heroin. Um, They were creating synthetic heroin Um, that was not gonna have all the negative effects that methadone has because they felt that in order to uh, keep people off the streets and keep them healthy, um, they were still gonna do heroin. So now why not offer them a healthy alternative? And that, for me, was one of the most memorable stories. Number one, because it was the first time they sent me out with, you know, what's kind of an expensive undertaking, flying from Germany to Scotland, going with the camera crew, making all the editorial decisions, going back in the edit, making sure I had all the shots that I needed to tell the story. You know, that's like a heavy burden when you're just starting out. So I I remember that um, vividly, and uh, I feel like I should go back and see what became of that. And other stories were sort of like, some of them that I really remember were challenging ones you know where it was sort of mission impossible like that guy's not going to talk to you and then i made it happen so like talking to richard helms a former cia director and i i think i've interviewed like 5 former cia directors so you know stories in national security especially as a german journalist who has to convince people that although this report that will appear in Germany will not get them any votes, is still something they should be interested in doing. I think that's always a stretch. And whenever I managed to do that, um, I was always very happy. So I have a couple stories like that that just have to do sort of like with my professional ego, I would say, like, did I get someone to talk to me? Um, So the list goes on and on. Others that, you know, I've been to Guantanamo like three times. And that those stories are super memorable because that's where you report basically under military censorship, right? And one trip, they wanted to view all our tapes every evening, and if we even had sort of like the tip of the nose of one of the detainees, we'd have to delete it. Um, so that was that was pretty um, taxing. Uh, and there too, they had us like on an island away from where the military lawyers were. That that I was, uh, you know, doing a feature about. Um, and we had to persuade people and I had to talk to the commander and I I basically like had a fighting match with the public affairs officers. So these things kind of stick in my memory, not only because of the location and the topic, but also because of how hard it was to get what I needed to tell the story. Um, and then another story that really sticks in my mind, so that's another like landmark is when, um, related to the Guantanamo story, my bosses decided, my editors decided that I had had enough days of shooting. And I was like, no, I'm not done with the story. So I grabbed a camera and basically taught myself how to do the camera work and um, told them, listen, let me just th- at least pay for the trip to you know XYZ. Um, and then I did the, the, the interviews I needed to do. Um, I also started to like give protagonist cameras, like one military lawyer was gonna go to Afghanistan to interview people. And I basically taught him how to film himself. Uh, and so that those stories really, st- Stick with me because it was sort of also the transition of the industry in a way, right? That people like me who started out as correspondents with a camera crew suddenly had to learn how to do their own editing, learn how to do their own camera work. So I really remember those because they were challenging and and actually a lot of fun too. Yeah, long answer. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, it, it's incredible. I'll, I'll, like even just hearing like like brief moments of what what these stories are it's incredible like this is giving me so much insight into you know what what your career was like it's that's incredible um i i have a question about when you're in these interviews with people who might not want to talk to you or who are hesitant or very hard to get what are some ways that you can get sources to agree to an interview and then once you're sitting in front of them what are some ways that you get them to open up and, and tell their story
1: You know I think the main thing and I try to tell that my students too is to be really authentic right when people can sense when you're just like I need to get this interview and I'm going to say whatever it takes but if you're really honest with people and say you know I I sometimes start my my emails with I know this is a long shot I know I'm probably you know request number 900 landing in your inbox but I'm going to ask you anyway, because, and then my, my pitch is, is, and it's very, you know, I mean it right. Uh, and comes from a place of empathy that people need to be heard. Right. I'm not, I could easily do a story about any topic show, just with one side, you know, it's easy, but to give people the opportunity to present um, their view and their perspective, um, is really my biggest pitch and it, it works. Right. Sometimes, and I've been told actually by people that that's why they talk to me, um, it's because I'm super persistent. Like, I won't give up, yeah? So my my motto is even a no is probably a maybe because as long as you still get a response, even if it's a no, it means they're still talking to you, right? So sometimes even if somebody says no, you'll say, you know, I get it. But if you, if you don't mind, I'd love to like call you just to like, get your perspective and just on background to make sure that I'm getting it right. And so that means you, like, you continue having a relationship with that person. It's like source building. And at some point they're like, you know what? Now I know what you're about. Go ahead, bring, bring your camera, we'll do it. So I think it's relationship building. It's being authentic and, and empathetic and letting people know that that's the place you're coming from.
0: Yeah, what made you want to shift into the world of academia and take on uh, some different responsibilities?
1: Well, that is, so when I first came to the US um, as an undergrad, I kind of thought as maybe a lot of undergrads who are listening to this think is like, I cannot even imagine not being in college, right? Like, and I thought the academic world, I didn't study journalism. They didn't even have real journalism programs. I went to Georgetown. I think they still don't have a journalism program or maybe a very small one or just a grad program. So I studied, you know, international relations. I focused on the Arab and the African politics and econo- economics. I think it was called of the Arab and world and Africa so that was i thought i was maybe going to do something in the foreign service um, or stay in academia you know i thought this is great i just get to spend all this time just reading stuff but then it was like okay i'll get a job so i got a job in journalism and after the career in journalism i started developing let's say some questions that were more theoretical about what i had been doing all my life and on a practical level my employer wanted me to go back to Germany and I didn't want to go back to Germany. So I was like you know maybe it's uh, it would be smart to sort of pursue this long forgotten idea of going back to academia and I started to take some PhD courses at the University of Maryland and then they um, they had me join their program and I was sort of on board and off. So I continued to work in journalism while I was doing my PhD but once I had my PhD I was like okay or once I was writing my dissertation and I went on the job market, I found this amazing job here at, at UGA and the rest is history.
0: Yeah. I wanna ask about some of those those questions you were talking about earlier about what you did in your career, and then where your research has gone gone now. Your research looks at a variety of topics, but you know, particularly you're interested in newsroom sociology. So can you explain what newsroom sociology is and, and what drew you to that?
1: Right. So so I think where where you're going is like, why am I focusing on the sociology of news? So remember earlier I said um, that my editors um, said I was out of, you know, days to shoot. So I had to do my own shooting and then they wanted me to go back to Germany. So I always viewed um, journalism, not just as this almost like romanticized quest for the truth, It's a workplace right it's a social institution it's where there are hierarchies not just among editors but also among you know people covering beats people of different gender and ethnicity so that's basically what newsroom sociology is all about right like looking at journalism and the place and the people that produce it as parts of a social institution And that's what I look at. I look at how newsrooms function, how do they respond to changes, for example, when suddenly everybody has to learn how to do their own video, or what do you do if you have, you know, if one part of the workforce doesn't want to use certain digital tools, but the others do, you know, there are all these dynamics that happen in the space where journalism is created as it's changing, you know, from, from outside a physical newsroom to everyone on their own laptop, and that's what I'm interested in because you can't look at and study what comes out of journalism if you don't know and understand who's producing it and how it's being produced. And and my focus sort of theoretically is what they call critical cultural. That means I look at sort of like power relations. So one thing I'm I'm really interested in looking at is unionization because in the last you know, I would say six, seven years, so many newsrooms have unionized Um, and, you know, newsroom ownership has changed dramatically over the last 10, 20 years. So how are workers uh, responding to that? And I think that's very relevant to student journalists too, is to look at themselves not just as producers of, you know, truthful, well-researched, good stories, but also as people who are entering the labor force um, and and are, are workers,
0: really. Yeah. Can you talk about some of your research that you've done around unions and, you know, what you, what you found?
1: Well, actually I'm writing one thing on unions and I don't really want to spill too much about it. Um, but you know, one thing that I looked at during my dissertation, which kind of got me on the unionization track was how journalists responded to these, um, demands to do more audience engagement. Cause it, you know, the, the, the classical view, so to speak, if you want to call it that, is that um, journalists are almost like in an ivory tower, right? And they, it's, it's, it, they look at their audience maybe as consumers and what they have, to, you know, they have to deliver, but they don't really interact. So especially with digital tools and analytics, um, th- th- it's much more of a two-way street, right? And that news, produ- news consumers are on so many more platforms that are interactive. So I was asking, like, how do journalists feel about this huge change? And I noticed in the newsrooms that I studied that some were much more open to unionization and much more radicalized. And I tried to look at, like, what is it? Could it be that something about interacting with their audience, so like the people, quote unquote, more, um, actually changes the way journalists perceive themselves in society, and and that is something that i'm finding that they're sort of they're much although many of them really hate interacting with um, audiences on social media platforms because usually people that hop on social media are aggressive and abusive but some forms of audience engagement like going to a coffee shop regularly and meeting with people in the community actually really make people bond more with their community and see themselves more as people you know, of a, of a certain social group, right? And, and they see that maybe there's more of a, there's a sort of a shifting of the us versus them, right? Now, suddenly maybe the journalist sees that maybe we're more like the people that we're reporting about and our bosses are like working against us a little bit. And that has them think about unionization more. Maybe we should work together more in collective action to make sure that we have, you know, fair salaries and good working hours. So that's one of my takeaways, but I'm also doing like a monograph, looking at I'm interviewing people um, across U.S. newsrooms who have unionized and look at how that's actually changed the way they do their journalism. Um, and I think it has. So that's going to be like about how how has how does unionization actually change the way journalism is produced?
0: Can you speak to any of the trends that you're seeing in journalism workspaces and in newsrooms, just on a broader scale? Like how is How is journalism work changing or or not changing well
1: i really see two trends and one is what i had addressed about um ownership you know i think there's a real crisis in newsrooms that are owned by these other large companies who are laying people off trying to really make make the product as cheaply as possible and the other side where journalists are really starting to speak up and talk about i mean there are these google sheets out there that share uh, industry wages, you know, that, and, and there are calls, um, for much more diversity. There are excellent journalists of color who are like, I'm not going to work here anymore. This is a toxic workplace. So I think that the journalists are really kind of changing their view of what it means to belong to a workplace that might not be good for them or might not be conducive to actually good journalism. And I, I would hope, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the Marshall Project, which is um, a sort of a nonprofit, criminal justice focused um, news organization, I would call it. Um, and I know a lot of journalists who are excellent beat, beat reporters who just said, I've, I've had enough of this, you know, we're cutting corners to the point where I can't cover my beat. Let's start a sort of beat oriented nonprofit. Um, And then uh, produce and, you know, syndicate or sell our work to other outlets. I think that's awesome. I think that's a really good, good opportunity also for new journalists on the market who want to just get some experience on a specific beat. I think these are, that's kind of a trend that I hope continues. Yeah, yeah.
0: Dr. A, you have shared so much about your work and I'm so like I feel so lucky that me and our listeners get to, you know, be clued into your work and and, and your research and and why of course it's important because I think especially for your point you said earlier, journalism students are going into workplaces as journalists um, and there's there are a lot of different moving parts to that so so I want to thank you before I let you go I have one last question and I want to know if you have any advice for journalists who maybe have both. Academic and professional aspirations, and are sort of between that line of, you know, where do I go from here?
1: So, for undergrads here in our college, I think, and I've sort of discovered this in the last year, I think there's such a great opportunity here. At, in this co- in, at the university and obviously then also at, in this college to do a Curo assistantship um, that either with, you get scholarship or for credit that allows you to work with one of the professors on their research project, one or more professors. So I have a couple of undergrads working with me and I think it's a, a great opportunity, not just to mm, sort of add something in your portfolio and on your CV, because if you look down the road like say you you graduate here you get a job in journalism but you've also have on your cv some research that you've done thinking about journalism and and sort of looking at the big picture of journalism i think down the road if you want to get a, a position more in management you know something a position in journalism that that has more of the big picture responsibility um i think that's a great item on your um on your cv um the other reason I would do it is if you're thinking about becoming a double dog having had some undergrad research experience would really help you because you're going to the first semester you're going to have like a theory class that's probably going to make you want to run out the run out of the building screaming maybe um but so if you've had some um interaction with your professors who are doing research and maybe even working with them on a project I think that's very helpful and the benefit of doing journalism studies research is that you're actually studying the industry that you're about to go into. So, you know, like the, the, the work that I do looks at what's going on in newsrooms. So if you um, participate in a qualitative study where you do interviews with journalists and ask them what's going on in your newsroom, not only do you network, you also get some valuable insights. So that's one thing I would um, advise students to do is really to consider like adding a little bit of journalism studies research into their portfolio. And the other advice I give you is just do it, right? Like just write, just write. I teach intro to video too. And I basically just said, let's go out and just do it. You know, like just create some footage. Um, Because I think a lot of times people are just, it's almost like going on the, I'm going to do this in metric, but like the five meter board, right? Where you're like, you can, you're climbing up the stairs and then you're up there and you're like, you know, but you have to jump. So go up there and jump and produce as much journalism as you can. Try to get as many
0: internships as you can. And my final piece of advice is never work for free. Thanks again to Dr. A for joining us on this episode. I'm your host, Kira Posey. Our producer is Dr. Keith Herndon, the executive director of the Cox Institute. To keep up with The Lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at The Lead Podcast. See you next time.